Good morning. I want to welcome, thank you. I want to welcome you all to Come and Reason Bible Study. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim uh, while I believe he is away celebrating his anniversary. Is that happy anniversary? <laughs> We're studying today lesson number seven in our quarterly uh, entitled Arming for Victory. Um, before we start, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another day of rest that you've given us at the end of a week. Um, thank you for this weekly reminder of a creator and a God of freedom who presents the truth and love and leaves us free to decide. Please guide our study today. Um, be with those of our group who are not with us and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I want to welcome those who are here who are visitors. I see some unfamiliar faces. Uh, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are listening online and watching online also. Did anyone have any uh, nagging thoughts or questions uh, as they looked over the lesson uh, in getting ready for this, this, week's, um, this week's study? <coughs> Care to share some? Yeah, uh, it seemed like there was a, an awful lot of emphasis on outward behavior and stuff as opposed to an inward change. Okay. I, I noted that as well. Thank you. Um, we'll, we'll, touch on, we'll touch on some of those issues today, uh, hopefully. Anybody else? Okay, let's dive in. Someone read the memory text for Sabbath lesson, please. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the e- in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Okay, that's kind of a loaded text. What uh, My first question, right off the bat, was what, what is the purpose of armor? Or what, do we, what do we understand is the, is the purpose of armor? Protection. Okay, that was the first first one on my list for protection when a soldier goes into battle typically wearing a vest um, back in the day they were wearing a you know a coat of mail or coat of armor I mean literally metal armor um, is that the only purpose of armor I think in today's time it's a protection against the evils of Satan Okay, I, th- I think that's certainly what the text is uh, is referencing. But uh, I, I'm I'm talking just as we understand the, the general concept of armor. Yes. Okay. It's protection is 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 one of the one of the purposes. What else? Can it be for intimidation? Okay. Good. That was the third one on my list. Um, think of the armored cavalry. Think of tanks, armored personnel carriers. Um, there are a few things that will instill, instill fear into the enemy than seeing a, a uh, division of tanks rolling at you across a, a desert sand or, or, or through the woods. Um, the, the Allies in World War II were terrified of the German panzer tanks. The Iraqis uh, in, <clears throat> in more recent history were terrified of our M1A1 Abrams tanks. So it's to, for, for armor, is to instill fear. Into the opposition. Okay, who 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 is our opposition? Okay, Sam. 
I was just going to say another purpose of armor is to identify who you are, too. Good. That was the second one I had. It's, it's the, <clears throat> simply the recognition of, of who's a soldier and who's a civilian. Right? And often what side you're on. And, and often what side you're on. So, what, yes? Oftentimes it builds up confidence in the individual as well. If they have armor on, they, they're more confident. Okay, good. I hadn't thought of that. That's right. And I've, I think that's part of the protective, uh, protective mechanism of armor. It, it will give you, a, it'll give you a, a bravery, a confidence that uh, you may not have if you're just out there in street clothing. Yes? Although it seems like armor is predominantly defensive, it's also offensive in the sense that if you have an armored group, mm-hmm then you can plow through defenses that would ordinarily stop someone that was not armored. That's right. So the sword was predominantly a offensive weapon mm-hmm. that was part of their... Good. These are all things that I hadn't thought of. Excellent. Thank you. Um, someone look up, you know, regarding to instilling fear into the opposition, that was the last one that I came up with. Someone look up James 2.9. Excuse me, two nineteen. Uh, it, it's it's a little. I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on the idea that we are to instill fear into Satan and his uh, and his forces, but uh, Scripture gives us some evidence that that's exactly what we can and should be doing. James two nineteen. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Thoughts? James tells us a little later on, yeah, that's right, that, that faith, that belief and faith and works are all linked together. Um, have you ever thought about being able to make the devils tremble? But wouldn't that also indicate that, I mean, yes, they, they've rebelled and everything, but the fact that they fear God is an indication of how much they misunderstand him. Okay, that's fair. The mere name of Jesus oftentimes Consider what the, our warfare is about. Um, if we're being... If we're being recruited by one side or the other. Let me back up a little bit. Let's think about earthly warfare. Which is more valuable, to, uh, to kill a, high, a high-ranking commander or to capture that high-ranking commander and turn him to, uh, to your side? To capture and recruit. The, the, the recruit, the captured uh, recruit, has knowledge of, um, of the enemy's uh, positions, the enemy's tactics. So isn't isn't that what isn't that what God is trying to do for us? He's not trying to eliminate us. He's not trying to kill us in this spiritual warfare. He's he's repatriating us. He's capturing us and 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 healing us, converting us, transforming us, changing us to uh, to His side. Tim. Yeah. Well, to go along with what you said, you know, you were saying they have knowledge of the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, the darkness fears the light. Because it exposes what's going on. <laughs> well said. Thank you. 
So let's uh, let's look at, let's delve a little deeper into this uh, passage in Ephesians, um, where our memory text was taken from. I'm going to read uh, Ephesians six verses ten through twenty. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in he- heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be, be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation the sword and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, and with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in change, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. <clears throat> Uh, back to verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and cosmic powers over the present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Um, have you guys ever stopped to ponder that? <coughs> we wrestle against rulers and authorities. Any thoughts? I think too often we focus on people, you know, um, oh, this person did that and, you know, now I can't like them, I can't be around them, all that other kind of stuff, mm-hmm. when in fact, they're not the enemy. Correct. All right, they're, they're a fellow soldier with us, suffering from the same, same warfare, the same disease, however you wish, wish to look at it. <clears throat> And the Bible talks about Michael being your prince and fighting in the Old Testament, fighting against the prince of Greece, for example. Mm -hmm. And you suspect that they're talking about that Satan has delegated leaders for around the world in his his realm, and they are at war. Mm -hmm. It's it's, it's a little compelling and, and a bit humbling to me to think that, number one, we're at war, and 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 what and whom we're warring against. And it, it makes me thankful that um, I have a nuclear option. Yep. Yeah, um, in verse 13, you know, often when I think about the powers of darkness, I'm thinking about surviving myself, mm-hmm. etc., <clears throat> But that's not what the purpose of this text is. In verse 13, it's over, <clears throat> once you have overcome all obstacles, you're able to stand your ground. That's offense. <clears throat> you know, and for us to let others know of who we have found God to be is taking back territory from one who has claimed it. And it kind of brings to mind the text that, that, that not even the gates of hell will be able to withstand it, the gate being a defensive and not an offensive weapon. Um, 
again, again in verse 13, to be able to withstand in the evil day. What, what evil day would this be? All the days are evil. <laughs> Lori? In Romans 10 uses often is that we are fighting against everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And to me, this, this war took on a whole new meaning or finally made sense when I put it in, into that context. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think Paul's talking about here with this, to be able to withstand in the evil day? Is that one day in the future or is that present time? What okay? What what version uh, are you referencing? Have to stop saying contemporary English. Contemporary English version. Um, Judgment Day. That's what came to my mind. Um, But my my question was: Will will all of us consider that day evil? Or might there be a might there be a perceptional difference? Yes. For me, being ready for an evil day means that I'm basically ready for anything. And um, I found that when my first wife became ill and um, had, you know, basically a death sentence, essentially uh, within six months, mm-hmm. that um, I was able to do very little preparation for what was to come during that time. In other words, when you get in in the thick of things is not the time to be preparing. You're going to be prepared for whatever comes beforehand. And to me, those who are always prepared, it will not be an evil day for them. Because they will have put on the whole armor of God. Wendell? In the previous chapter, Ephesians 5, 16, or 15 and 16, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Mm. So he was speaking in present time then. Correct. To me, the judgment day, again, may be the day or the every day when we're asked to judge God. Do we judge him as trustworthy and open our heart to him, or do we fear him and and judge him as untrustworthy and start to protect ourselves? That's the the decision every day of an evil day or a non-evil day. Well said. Maybe it leaves the impression of it's a summation of all these evil days leading up to the final decision that everybody makes. You're making a decision along the path all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, getting diagnosed with cancer at age 27 um, and going through each day right now, it is a fight between good and evil, between giving into anxiety or fear or depression or anger. And it's between the battle between good and evil that I see that is going on around me that I can either give into or fight against. So I think it's happening right now and it's continuing it's gonna to continue to get more and more. Mm. But thank you. Um, 
Second Corinthians ten three through five, uh, I think, brings up uh, brings us a little more to focus. And Lori already mentioned this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God, and take thought and take every thought captive to obey Christ. <clears throat> So, we are, there's lots of uh, warfare references here. So let's look at some of the, um, let's look at some of the things that are outlined in the, in the passage uh, that, that uh, our memory text was taken from. The uh, first thing is the belt of truth. And there are some, some references that suggest this is the girdle of truth. Um, any, any thoughts on what this might be symbolic for? <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, right. Truth, but I mean, the, why, 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 why use a belt? Why or, or a girdle? Why, why? What was? I'm, I'm interested in fleshing out why, why certain, um, certain metaphors were used here. Because it was the first thing they put on. Um, it was the <coughs> the first thing they did to prepare themselves for the rest of the armor. Um, you know, the in in some. From what I understand, uh, the way they were dressed many of the times, that that was what helped them, you know, tuck in various things so that their legs were free. Um, and so it might have provided an anchor for other things. Yeah. Um, okay. Most significant, it was the first thing that, that went on. Um, Good. I hadn't thought of that. Any other thoughts on why a belt or a girdle? A couple of thoughts. I was just thinking that um, to have the armor on means that you're in conflict. If it was a judgment day, the conflict's over. You wouldn't need the armor in, ju- in, in judgment. But so put on the armor because you're you're in in the middle of conflict, and the truth is the armor. Uh, gird yourself. About with truth. In other words, put the armor on. Truth is what defends us. To heed the warnings that God has given, uh, you know, in Scripture and in the spirit of prophecy. So, girt your loins with truth is the armor that protects us against deception and the wiles of the devil. I think it's certainly a piece of the armor. Yeah. I don't know if it's the whole armor. Yeah. yeah. They're, yeah. you know, the devils know the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they tremble. But yet they don't. They don't follow. They've gone. They've gone too far in their rebellion to, to be reconciled. So, um, truth alone is not going to save us. No, but it's what you have to start with. I think it's a great. It's a great place to start. Absolutely. It's an integral. Truth. The others don't count for much. I agree. That's your foundation. Yes. All right. Garments used to be called foundations, you know, years ago. Yes. That was your foundation garment for a woman. The the, the girdle. The yes. Um, okay. Good. What about the uh, the next one? Is the breastplate of righteousness? Why um, 
Why do you think that uh, the author used the, he made the metaphor of breastplate and compared it with righteousness? I'm sorry, I just had a completely different unrelated thought. Okay, share it. Um, you know, for, for healing as a whole, you know, first you're presented with truth. That wins you back into trust with God. He That that puts you back right with God. That's that's the righteousness. But what comes afterward is the healing, the, the helmet, um, the faith that, you know, prevents, you know, stops all the darts. And, mm-hmm. and knowing the word of God and, and having the gospel of peace. I mean, all of that, it seems like a progression. You know, it starts with the truth, and then you're made right, and then you're healed, and then, you know, so it's, it's like a, a movement. It's sequential. Yeah. Okay, good. Any other thoughts about the breastplate of righteousness? That's often what you see at a distance. Our right behaviors is what people see at a distance. Okay. Righteousness is right doing, doing the right thing. Why? Because it is the right thing. Because it's right. Thank you. Exactly. And that's what people see often at a distance. Good. Any other thoughts? Well, that covers your heart. Covering the heart. The vital organs that keep you alive and covers your heart. Mm-hmm. We ascribe to heart mm-hmm. our love of something. So you not only have to know the truth, you have to love or embrace the truth. Okay, it's guarding our heart. Doesn't scripture tell us to guard our hearts? Okay. All right. Shoes for the gospel of peace. The idea is why this metaphor was chosen. You go somewhere with your shoes. The shoes uh, allow this to be an offensive, you can be an offensive or defensive stand, okay? If you can't stand up. (laughs) Fair enough. It's difficult to be an effective uh, soldier. Why, Why do you think he goes so far as to say gospel of peace, not just the gospel. Clarify it's nonviolent. <clears throat> okay, clarifying a, a, a gospel that's nonviolent, even in a warfare metaphor, that's interesting. I think there is peace through strength. <laughs> peace through superior firepower. Mm-hmm. That's good. <clears throat> Apparently that, that is, we understand the power that we have at our disposal. Do you think perhaps that uh, Paul, at the time he was writing this, he even he started seeing a false gospel, and he took the steps to differentiate the gospel that he was thinking of and speaking of uh, to to identify it separately from a a different gospel, a gospel of anger, a gospel of wrath. I mentioned he came to my gospel. Oh, good. That's right. He uh, he was he was trained and raised in uh, in that gospel, and and was a. I mean, he's a great he's a great example of a, a commander, and uh, on one side of the warfare being 
taken captive and uh, turned and then uh, is now a powerful agent for the other side. The end result of our warfare should be peace. And that's the end result of all this battle is peace not only for the soldier, but also the person who he's gone to conquer. For the enemy. That's right. Restoration for the enemy as well. And it says mm, there is no rest for the wicked. And it talks about God giving his people rest. You know, and so when you go somewhere with your shoes, when you travel, when, you, when you're out and about going over rugged terrain or something that protects you and allows you to go farther and, and higher and over more rugged terrain, you know, as you're going there, you meet, everywhere you go, you meet people who are not, who are at unrest, who are anxious. And when you can present a cohesive gospel like we do here, I think, you, you give the person a chance to see there can be peace in their life and to embrace that. Good. What, what is it about, what is it that, that prevents the wicked from rest? I mean, is, is God poking them and tormenting them? And they're at war with God. And that they weren't made to be at war with God. They are missing God. And so, so there's something something about their own nature that is um, the nature of being out of harmony with God's ways, methods, and principles that uh, eliminates them from that peaceful rest that uh, the believers have. In the back. One of the participants says, how do you connect the gospel of peace with Jesus' words that he did not come to bring peace but a sword? Good. Excellent question. Any thoughts? The sword sword is truth, and he didn't come to compromise with the lies. He came to separate. Good. The sword is the last one. The sword of the Spirit is the last one uh, we were going to talk about here in just a little bit. Brittany. Well, it specifically says the sword is the word of God. And it's not possible for us to have peace on this earth because not everyone on the earth believes in the word of God, believes in God. And so we're never going to have peace until we get to heaven. And so he was just bringing the truth in the word, and that's going to cause separation. And that's what it's supposed to do. Okay, so Christ bringing the truth is inherently going to cause division because not every human is is in harmony with God's ways and methods and principles, nor will be in harmony with God's ways and methods and principles. And this, this is what's going to, this is what's going to cause division and, and a sword. Wendell. Well, also, uh, Christ, as you have said, this brings discomfiture to the wicked. So he is bringing a sword that is going to stir up and and be uncomfortable to. Those of the enemy camp. We can also have peace between us and God. That that is may we may not have it between individuals on earth, but we can be at peace with God. Did everyone hear that? She said we can also be at peace with God Himself, even though we may not be always at peace with uh, our brethren. The the analogy of, of Christ as being a good shepherd, the staff in his hand brings comfort to those who are in his fold, but it brings discomfiture to those who are 
trying to tear that fold apart. Good. Interesting analogy. And we're going to talk about revelations here in a minute where, you know, the lamb is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Tim, did you have a... It, she said it. it okay. Was that there's a differentiation between individual peace and peace in, on earth or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, you know. In the back. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe uh, since it says the preparation of the gospel of peace, it's talking about peace in your own heart rather than peace with individuals that you're fighting this war with, you know, the, the world. It's be prepared by having peace inside mm-hmm. to do... To, the gospel, you know, to reach out. You had a comment? Mine was going to go along with that, is that it seems as if people that are um, really standing up for God and fighting for Him and bringing discomfort and causing maybe separation or um, they will have a peace within themselves that is unlike no other. Like um, Paul or Peter um, preaching the gospel and even no matter what was going on around them, people wanting to kill them, or even then, them in the end, even being persecuted, they had no fear. They were at peace, and it was it was nothing. No one could comprehend. So, okay. So we have we have to have this uh, we have to have this peace that quote passes understanding, and the shoe metaphor <clears throat> allows us to take this peace elsewhere. Um, well, what's the scripture? Blessed are the feet who who deliver the the gospel, um, and and Christ Himself says, "A new commandment I give you: take take this gospel to the to the rest of the world." Eve, um, I was just going to say that in Second um, Corinthians five eighteen, it says, "All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation." Um, and so that I think that's also connected. You know, that's once we have that peace, it propels us forward to share it. Mm, good. It's kind of kind of that inward working outward um, theme that you touched on earlier. Good. All right. Where are we now? Oh, the shield of faith. This is the purpose of the shield of faith is to extinguish the flaming darts Satan throws at us. Any thoughts on why? Shield and faith are linked together. Because we're under attack, you know, and we have to have the faith that God is on our side. And when discouraging thoughts come, you know, or questioning thoughts or whatever, faith is what is is described as as the key. You know, prayer is the, the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse. So you have to have, you know, faith size of a grain of a mustard seed that can you you can't get overwhelmed by thinking there are there are evil beings all over seeking your destruction at every every minute of every day mm-hmm. while you're casually going through life you know there is is war being raged all around you and it's really easy to to get discouraged or lack the faith that god you know we see so much evil all the time or news and everywhere you go it's evil faith is what's needed to break through that and and keep holding on to God and don't allow thoughts of how bad you are or how bad everything else is and how bad the devil and his angels are, but to keep on holding on to the truth and don't let go. No matter how you feel, have faith. What, um, 
What good is the shield if it's um, left at home? You have, you have a shield. It's not with you. Or what good is it if it's hanging, if you're just holding it by your side? Is it going to help? I guess if they're attacking you from the flank and trying to hit you in the thigh, then it might help. If the shield needs to be, this, this is, I think this is kind of a, a great tie-in between faith and works. <clears throat> a shield is not going to do much good unless you're, unless you're holding it up. These days, you're going to think of it as a horse shield, surrounding, you know. That's, okay. And, and what reason might we have to put that shield down, I think, is what I, what I thought of. You know, maybe he's got us convinced that it's not actually doing us any good, and we put it down. Hmm. Or it's just too heavy. Mm-hmm. Oh, shield made of wood, covered with leather. It's killing my arm. In the back. I was just going to say, I think it's a force field too, because you're not only getting stuff from without, you're getting it from within too. Like sometimes within your own church family, you're you get darts. So I think you need a force field. The the lesson makes an interesting point, which I wasn't aware of. That usually the shield was a piece of wood and it was covered in leather. Uh, the point, the purpose being that if the enemy was shooting darts that were dipped in tar and, and set on fire, <clears throat> the leather, they would hit the leather and the leather would extinguish the flame. It wouldn't catch your shield on fire. Um, so I think that's, that's, a, that's a very interesting point that he, he goes so far as to <clears throat> link the, to extinguishing the flaming darts of the devil with the shield of faith. Um, you know, We've talked before about what exactly does the, the enemy throw at us, and most of the time he's throwing lies at us. Mm-hmm. And our faith is is something that if we know who God is, that's going to extinguish the darts. You know, I know God is love, mm-hmm. therefore, you know, I can I can work through. Well, this coming at me is not is not true. It loses all power. Good. Any other thoughts? I think sometimes God holds the shield for us, or it can be all-encompassing, um, not necessarily sometimes tangible. He can be our shield if the going gets really, really tough, because no matter how, um, sometimes the t- times get too tough to where you just don't have it in you, but it's really God in you that is um, lessening the blows that are coming your way. And good, thank you. Christ has defeated him, and if we try to meet him in our own strength, he'll get us every time. Mm-hmm. But if we depend on Christ, when the devil has to face Christ, he knows he has no chance. Well said. Excuse me, a lot of um, what we're talking about really comes down to a very basic meaning of life. Why do you exist? Why do you care what happens to anybody else? Why do you care what happens to you? And to me, it's, it's a matter of realizing that 
there's a futility in this life without a relationship with God and without a, a consistent, congruent relationship with other people that's based on the truth of God. If you if you don't have that, uh, you know there are, there are people groups in this in this world that that just are fraught with futility in their lives, and I I don't want that. You know I don't I don't want to live that way. I don't want to wake up wondering what my reason for getting up in the morning is. You know I, I just I want to enjoy life. Yes, because of the things that that are enjoyable, but also because of the basic meaning, more so really, because of the basic meaning that I have in life. And the shield, to me, is is that determination, that persistence on my part that says, no one's getting through this. You know, you you can't touch this. Thanks. Uh, Brittany, one second. In the back. Is the defense Christ provides external to us, or is it by reproducing his character in us that he defends us from Satan's attacks? Good question. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's exclusively one or the other. Um, we, we have numerous references in Scripture where um, God, God put, put up a hedge around his children. Uh, you know, the... The cloud, the cloud of fire, and, the cl- and, and, and shade with the children of Israel, interposing itself between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. The uh, the chariots of fire surrounding Elisha, I think. Um, you know, and yep, Job, the hedge of protection put around Job. Uh, so, I and. You know, as we all understand, that uh, you know, Christ living within us provides uh, its own its own protection as well. So I think I think it, frankly, the answer is both. Brittany, you had a comment. Um, well, I mean, in terms of the shield being faith, but the whole theme here obviously is um, spiritual warfare, and we don't understand very much about spiritual warfare. There's a lot of things that we don't we can't see behind the curtain, and mm-hmm. um, each piece of armor that we put on, we have to make the choice to put that piece of armor on. And there's many steps and choices that come before we have faith. It's not something that just magically falls in our lap. We have to learn to trust God, to develop faith in Him. And in terms of spiritual warfare and free will, um, we have to choose to put on this armor and to, to learn to trust God and to have faith in Him so that we can ask for protection and um, so that we can tap into that power to keep Satan and his um, evil angels from attacking us. And and what was just being discussed, I think that there's times that we don't know what's going on around us and we don't know that we need to specifically ask for a hedge of protection because we can't see what's coming at us. But we have faith, and so if we did know, we would ask for it. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I think that's kind of how I look at it anyway. So, Thank you. One more, and we've got to move on. I think in my life it's been both because I think God put a hedge at times when I wasn't well enough to deal with some of the assaults. So while he's healing you, he has to you know, not give you more than what you can handle or more than what you can take. So as the healing process is going on, I think he is protecting us from certain things that we don't need to go through, but we need to go through things to get stronger, just like you exercise to get stronger. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly, and you know, the Army metaphor uh, it <clears throat> plays out beautifully. Uh, we're, I think we're being protected by heavenly forces that are unseen. We're also being protected by our fellow brothers and sisters that are in various, uh, have various skills and, and uh, specialties in warfare and various uh, defenses that uh, are necessary. And we're also an army of one. We, we have our own uh, protective mechanisms. Dean? Tony asks, why does it seem that Satan's attacks become worse when we develop faith? We become more threat. Why does it seem that Satan's attacks become worse when we develop faith? Well, any thoughts? He wants to keep us discouraged. <laughs> we left his side, you know. So now he, he's going to get, get back at you, wants you back. Jim? We didn't always have faith. There's a conversion process that we all go through. And Satan's naturally going to test it. I mean, it's he believes it to be the old way, not the new way. Mm-hmm. He believes it's a sham, new way. So he's going to put it to the test under the fire. Questions of true meaning really become relevant, pertinent, you know, exceptionally eminent right then, you know. Wendell? You don't fight against your own group. You fight against the enemy. Mm-hmm. I think he also knows um, what um, having faith, he is afraid of that. And so he is going to fight it and fight you as much as he can because he's afraid of you and what you can do with that faith. We talked earlier about the commander of the army. And in this sense, the stronger your faith, the stronger your relationship with God, you know, the, the higher up in the ranks you would be in spiritual warfare. And so the higher up in the ranks, the more the enemy wants to destroy you. Good. I remember I treated a patient one time when I was in San Diego who was a Vietnam-era vet. And it was, it was actually the first Vietnam-era vet that I'd ever had as a patient. And, and my perception was, you know, the, the Vietnam War vets were just, you know, a little out there and a little, little kooky. So I got talking with him about, um, about his experiences over there. He said, dude, it was the best time I ever had. It was one giant party. We we cooked steaks every day. Had all the beer we could drink. We went water skiing in the in the bay. It was it was a year. It was the best year of my life until the Tet Offensive. So he was there before 1967, six seven, when uh, the the North Vietnamese started the Tet Offensive, and then the party ended. And you talk to Vietnam War veterans who were over there after the Tet Offensive, and they have a different story. <clears throat> so when Satan sees one of us um, being repatriated to the other side, he goes on the offensive uh, in an effort to change our perception, in an effort to discourage us, in an effort to injure us, in an effort to keep us captive, to keep us from sharing, to, to, in an effort to bring us back to his ranks in, in the back, on the, on the uh, online. One of the participants gives an Ellen White quote from earlier writings that says, 
true faith lays hold of and claims the promised blessing before it is realized and felt. Hmm. Good. Thank you for sharing that. Tim? Just to directly address why do the attacks get worse, it's the only method he has. He doesn't have any other tricks but to scare us and coerce us and try to force us back down into the hole again. Good. All right, let's look at the helmet of salvation. Any, uh, any uh, thoughts on why helmet uh, and salvation are uh, linked together? This one fascinated me. That's where the healing takes place. Um, the helmet covers, covers your mind. Um, that's the ultimate battleground. That's, the, that's what the sides are fighting for. And I think it's interesting that it's last. You know, it's, it's, you know, your healing, when you're so settled into the truth, so settled into God's methods, that helmet of healing, that helmet of salvation, um, and that's actually, I think, why it's also linked with, with the sword, because you cannot handle the sort of truth properly unless you're settled into the truth yourself. Mm. And the, the Pharisees had memorized scripture, and it didn't exactly make them better people. No, it didn't. When God walked among them, they killed him. Um, salvation. Uh, that this, this is this is, comes from the root word salve, which means you know, it means to heal. Uh, and I think Eve is is right on point. You know, healing. Do you, do you do you think that Paul knew that the prefrontal cortex existed, and that's where um, judgment and the higher uh, higher brain functions occurred when he wrote this some 2,000 years ago? Do you, you think he was, the science of that day knew, knew the brain anatomy and function? Not likely. Doesn't that, does that, what does that do, what does that do for your, um, your faith in, in scripture being a, a divinely, uh, divinely inspired book and not some, some piece of uh, history or some fanciful literature reference. Yeah. I mean, you know, little, I mean, you can we spend all day you know, getting uh, fleshing out pieces of of, of uh, you know li- little <clears throat> little tiny things like this that um, indicate that scripture was scripture was divinely inspired and and not just the ideas of men. So. Helmet of salvation. I mean, I think it's I think it's dead on that healing occurs in our in our minds, which is often referred to as our hearts, and that's why the helmet is used uh, in this metaphor. Lastly, the sword of the spirit, which is also the word of God. Uh, someone look up Hebrews two twelve, please. Someone look else look up Revelation nineteen fifteen. Sorry, Hebrews four twelve. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, interesting that the sword of the spirit, the word of God, is is, is here referenced as the, the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and Discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. That tells you where it's working, though. What's that? That tells you precisely where it works. That's right. And 
does this does the word of God discern our own thoughts and intentions, or does it discern, or does it allow us to discern others' thoughts and intentions? Our own. Actually, <laughs> to some degree, it, it can do both. Yes. Um, you know, if, if I can, because of the sword of the spirit, you know, it, it reaches me. You know, God uses the the truth to to hit my heart to show where I've done things. Um, you know bring that to bear, and, and heal. But it also helps me see the behavior I'm seeing in somebody else is not because they're, you know, this horrible bad person. It's because they're sick. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't say that it allows us to judge the uh, thoughts and intentions mm-hmm. and judge these people. It allows us to discern them. Mm-hmm. Dean. Mella DeWall posted uh, from... God's Amazing Grace, page 32. God bids us fill the mind with great thoughts, pure thoughts. He desires us to meditate upon his love and mercy, to study his wonderful work in the great plan of redemption. Then clear and still clearer will be our perception of truth, higher, holier, our desire for purity of heart and clearness of thought. Mm, thank you. Again, uh, this that's a great reference uh, indicating that the change occurs from inward to outward. I think in terms of a medical person of scalpels, you know, surgery, Mm -hmm. that's what a surgeon is doing, you would know better than any, and, you know, the point of surgery is not, I mean, it hurts, and when you have surgery, it hurts to have that done, but the point of it is usually to fix something or remove something that's growing there that doesn't belong and is sapping your own energy and your own life or uh, fixing something that's broken in there. So the the hurtful process that is a sword piercing you is actually, in this case, meant for your own good. Right. The the, the tumor specialist removing the osteosarcoma, which will kill someone if, if left unremedied, um, even if you have to lose a limb, even if you're unable to salvage the limb, losing the limb... Yeah, it's painful, and yeah, it involves a lot of rehab, but you're still alive. Tim? I think it's interesting, the imagery of a two-edged sword, and then he talks about flesh and bone and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's it, it, it dissects both the realm we know, which is the physical world, and the realm we can't see, which is the spiritual world. So it's the two-edge there. Good. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of that. Nice. Thanks. Uh, who had Revelation 19.15? This, this gives us some uh, insight uh, for what's going to happen in the future regarding the Word of God. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Okay. Uh, in context, uh, this is Revelation 11. 19, 11 through 16. This is talking about the rider on the white horse, the prophetic rider on the white horse, whom we understand to be, to be the being that we know as Jesus of Nazareth, uh, who is coming from heaven with a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Is uh, is this uh, is this one of the texts that we take literally, or is this something that we understand is very symbolic? I mean, it is 
seriously, is is he coming from heaven with a two-edged sword sticking out of his mouth? Come on. Of course, of course not. He's, he's speaking the truth. He's speaking the word of God, which is the truth. How is it that the word of God strikes down the nations? Because the only thing that can stand in his presence are those who... One more time. The only thing in his presence are stands in his presence and in the presence of that truth are those who have been healed. Those who have accepted the truth. Says that those who can walk among the fire or the Isaiah 33, 14, 15. The word is God. Okay, that brings up uh, another great text that ties in here. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So Christ himself is the Word of God. So, for those, for those that we encounter during our daily walk, who understand that Christ is coming with anger and wrath, and is going to, um, you know, bring the fires of damnation with him, with which to destroy the wicked. This, this passage in Revelation, actually, these three texts—the the John text, Revelations, and Hebrews—these three are, are great. Uh, they tie in nicely together, indicating that no, the wicked will be, the wicked will be destroyed because they. They are not in harmony with the truth, with the word of God. And there are, there are many other references that support that as well. Uh, okay, let's, I think we're to Monday's lesson. <laughs> I learned at the feet of the master. <laughs> um, in the fourth paragraph, uh, the lesson states, at the same time, though this righteousness includes living a righteous life, we must, also, we must always remember the other aspect of righteousness. That is that the righteousness of Christ, which covers the believer and remains the believer's only hope of salvation. Anyone have any questions on, any thoughts or questions on that? I did. What, um, if you're on the battlefield, which, which would you prefer? Would you rather have a vest that was made of Kevlar or would you rather be made completely bulletproof yourself? Which is which is preferred? Bulletproof. Yeah, just to be completely bulletproof. If you are an HIV patient, which would be better, to be quarantined in a plastic tent or to be disease-free? Of course. So how do we understand you know, this idea that uh, the righteousness of Christ covers us? His blood is a stain. It, it penetrates. Okay, good. And it's often very difficult to get out. It, it goes through the entire being. It's not just an external shell to cover something. It's something that transforms and goes through the entire being. So, and indeed must be taken internally. Right. The, the righteousness of Christ is, should be our entire being. Mm. 
I couldn't agree more. Any other thoughts? He eats his flesh and drinks his blood. It's internal. Right. Exactly. One point uh, from Wednesday's lesson, then we're probably going to have to wrap it up. Um, early in Wednesday's lesson, the first paragraph, it references Isaiah 59. This is uh, verses 14 through 17. Justice has turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him and there was no justice. He saw that there was no man. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now the lesson um, indicates it's God who wears the helmet of salvation here, uh, and in Ephesians, the Christian is called upon to receive it. Uh, I, I, read this, I read this passage differently. Um, I, I see this as more of a messianic prophecy where God provided himself a man, a capital man, his own son, to bring uh, salvation to lowercase men and bring righteousness to the rest of humanity. Note the, uh, note the in verse 17, the garments of vengeance. And think about all the references that we have in the Old and New Testament um, referring to removing our own dirty rags and giving us a robe of righteousness. This is, um, this is yet another example of, of how God's vengeance is the healing and transforming of a sinner, the converting of one of Satan's generals to one of his own. This is God's vengeance. This is how, this is how he takes vengeance on sin itself, as he converts us, he heals us, he transforms us. Christ likeness. One comment. Flip a coin. Go ahead. <laughs> we, we just have to remember that this is God's work. Yes, exactly. It's because of who He is that we are healed, that we are able to accept salvation, that we are able to have faith in Him. It is because of who He is. And so, yes, in Isaiah, He is doing it. But in Corinthians, he is doing it. Yep. You know, it's because of who he is. Well said. Thank you. Let's uh, close with another prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for who you are uh, and what you are and what you're doing in each of our lives. We ask, <clears throat> we ask for a greater measure of your entire armor, uh, especially the shoes and the gospel of peace so that we can share this with others and hasten your return. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.